Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. What's up, team? Details on the next session of the ADHD Essentials online parent coaching groups will become available next week. I've learned a lot about managing the unique challenges presented to families by the current COVID-19 quarantine during this past session. In fact, the current session started the same week quarantine began in my home state of Massachusetts. I'm proud to report that my model for the parent coaching groups really shined during this time. All of our themes, concepts, and content were directly applicable to the challenges our members faced. If you're struggling during this time, managing your kids' behavior, helping them get their schoolwork done, or just getting burnt out yourself, I'm sure I can help. Learn more or register for a preliminary call at ADHDessentials.com slash parentgroups. Another way I'm helping people is in the ADHD Essentials Facebook community. In there, you'll find resources, thoughts, ideas, and community. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash ADHD Essentials community to sign up. And speaking of community, don't forget that ADHD Essentials is part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. Check out our partner podcasts. Hacking Your ADHD with Will Curb, where he shares actionable tips on how to manage your ADHD and ADHD Rewired with the one and only Eric Tivers. He shares incredible interviews with all sorts of fascinating people, ADHD experts, adults who have ADHD, and more. And finally, if you find value in this podcast, whether today's episode or past episodes, it would be wonderful if you would share it with other people. And of course, a five-star rating and review on iTunes will help others find the show just as much. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking to Stephanie Letourneau. Stephanie is a third grade teacher and a return guest, though it's been a while. She was on about two years ago in the early days of the pod to talk about how she was adding mindfulness to her classroom curriculum. In today's episode, Stephanie and I talk about distance learning from the teacher perspective, how her continued use of mindfulness in her classroom even her virtual classroom, is helping her students and their parents. And we also discuss how the current distance learning is shining a light on the inequity of our education system. All right, let's get rolling. So hi, Stephanie. How are you? I'm doing great. This is my first Zoom call of the day. (laughs) You're a returning guest. You were on forever ago. I think you might even be a single digits episode person. I think you're like number eight or something. And you're an elementary school teacher living through distance learning and virtual teaching during COVID-19. I just wanted to get the education perspective on all of this. What's it like as a teacher? Actually, it's been kind of interesting for me because I'm having a lot of different perspectives. Um, I teach third grade, like you said, this is my 20th year in third grade. I'm also an adjunct professor 
who was teaching on campus for um, college students. And I'm also a student attending uh, Mindful Schools. So I kind of have perspectives from a wide variety of places. Uh, as far as the third grade teacher, this has been so just so so upsetting because the end of the school year is usually um, where you see the fruits of your labor. You're working so hard all year long as a group, and then end of the year is when the students really fly. They just they're in the groove. They understand the expectations. They're learning and growing, and you're really coming together. It's just. Um, devastating to have to have left it off at the point where we left it. Um, and I think that's the hardest part for me is not getting to get to the finish line, so to speak. Um, so emotionally, the teachers are definitely finding it just as difficult as the students are. And are you able to connect with your colleagues to talk about what you're all experiencing? I'm on a really great team. There's five of us, including myself that teach third grade in um, my school. So we, we meet a lot, we text a lot, we email a lot, we call a lot, because we're all kind of, um, we're all struggling through this. So in the beginning, when we were told it was gonna be just two weeks, okay, we did fine. We all sent home those packets and all right, well, we'll be back, you know, and we'll pick up where we left off, no biggie. And then we were told, okay, now you need to put all, your, all of your things online. Well, that was definitely a bigger challenge. Um, we all used, you know, Google Classroom and certain websites, but not to this capacity. Well, we got into the groove with that, and then everything changed again uh, last week when we found out that we had to start introducing new learning. Uh, so right when we were getting in the groove of that, we were kind of throwing another wrench. Um, so actually, uh, we've we've been in a lot of contact lately, but unfortunately, the way that we work is going to have to change um, the way we, that we collaborate because our classes are all so different. A lot of them in some classes may not be participating, um, whereas some classes might have a better success with live meets where other classes have more success when they send re pre-recorded videos. So we're not able to work together um, for this last portion as much as we were for the beginning, um, which is unfortunate because we really do need each other. I would imagine that that it's hard on the teacher end because you don't know what's going on with the students and you're sort of yelling into a tunnel and hoping that the kids in the tunnel hear it or are even in the tunnel like you think they might be. Sometimes it's hard because um, I like to make sure that I'm making connection somehow with the kids every day. So if I see that they've entered a website or that they've come onto Google Classroom, I know that, they, that they're getting on. Um, and then other kids who I haven't seen online, I'll send messages. Uh, they don't have email. They're little. So I have to message their parents um, or give them phone calls. And I, I feel terrible because I don't want their parents to think that I'm, um, you know, being overbearing. But to be honest with you, I'm just checking to make sure everyone's okay. Whether they do their work or not, I'm, I, when I call or email, I want to make sure everyone's healthy and that no one is struggling. Um, so I do feel bad because parents are like, oh, we didn't get to it. Well, I'm so sorry. Oh, no, no, don't, don't apologize. It's okay. Is there anything that I can do? Do you need me? And I feel like I'm often um, in a, between a rock and a hard place in that, in that situation, making contact but not trying to be too overbearing for families that are struggling right now. That, I think, is an important perspective for parents to hear because even me who like I'm comfortable with schools and I worked in a school and I am 
pro teacher all day. I'm having trouble getting back to my kids, teachers, and their guidance counselor who has also checked in because there's just so many variables that that I have to navigate right now, right? As just a small microcosm of parenting on this in this story that is worldwide epidemic, I'm planning the day, like the schedule for the day. I'm figuring that out. I'm doing this job. So scheduling podcast interviews and making podcast interviews happen, finding people to interview, working within one-on-one clients, running a parent coaching group. I have to launch another round of parent coaching group soon. That's not a thing that I have any motivation to do, but I know I need to do it. I have people randomly reach out to me about stuff that hopefully I can get back to that email. And all of that stuff is secondary to doing stuff with my kids, to making sure they're getting the schoolwork done that they need to get done, that they're not just sitting in front of a screen all day and hopefully using their time, at least half of it in a way that is productive and useful and quality and enriching. Mm -hmm. Um, And that stuff sits on top of my own mental health and my own emotional well-being. And and after I get all that done, I also have a wife to make sure that she's doing okay and keep keep things going well there. And then finally I get to like self-care. Then I'm like, oh, and also I should probably exercise and I should probably make sure that I'm eating well and I should probably take a few minutes to do some mindfulness meditation if I can. And it's really hard to get to everything. There are friends that I'm not contacting that I love dearly, let alone my kids' teachers. Not that I don't care about them, not that I don't think that they're great. It's just there's so many other priorities that are so much higher than that. And so it's it's for me, it's important to hear from the perspective of a teacher that like you guys kind of need that too. And I'm caring for the their teachers by reaching out and contacting them. That's an important piece of feedback for me to have because it makes me that much more motivated to send that email and make that phone call. So that'll happen after this conversation. Nice. (laughs) How are your students experiencing this? And I'm not asking for like, well, Charlie is doing blah, blah, blah. But (laughs) but what is it like as the teacher seeing what's coming from from the homes? When we get on live meets, I get I get about half or a little more than half of students come in and those that come in, they just are so happy to see each other. And I think they're happy to see me, but I, I do see the importance of doing that because it gives you a little um, glimpse in. It's hard to know how they're doing. Otherwise I, I talked to several of them on the phone. Uh, you're not, so we're supposed to block our phone numbers actually when we call them. And for this one child, I forgot. And he calls me all the time how do I get into this website? What am I supposed to? And I don't even care. I love it. My dad <laughs> answers the phone. He's like, it's for you. <laughs> um, you know, so it's hard to really know how they're doing, but I like to think that they're managing better than they would have had they not had the um, instruction that I've given them on managing emotions and, um, you know, their, their mindfulness practices before we left. Luckily we had, um, you know, quite a long time to practice. So when we started learning remotely, I've been sending them um, uh, mindful moments and stories regarding mindfulness and regulating emotions. In fact, on our first live meet, one of my students brought out her singing bowl and said, can I, can I start the mindful moment? I was shocked. I was so happy. I was like, absolutely. 
Um, so I know that for a lot of them, that piece is really important. And I've also had a lot of feedback from parents that say, please keep sending these. They're helping me too. I like to think that that practice has helped them in some way. And it also gives us a connection to each other. Um, I like to think that it's helping. It's definitely helping me. You know, you talked about your own mental health. We have to, we have to be careful of that. Had I not um, started my practice, I would definitely be having a much more difficult time. And I'm so grateful for the fact that I started before this happened. It was almost like serendipity in a way where I'm just, uh, you know, the timing was right. Not that the timing was right for, to have a pandemic, but to start my practice and be where I am with that. And I also hold a, um, a mindfulness group of Methuen teachers. There's 40 of us and we had to stop meeting. I try to support them remotely with resources and meditations and tools. I think that that is a huge part of any classroom is having a mentally healthy teacher. Let's play with that mindfulness side of, of your educational practice, because that's what you talked about a year and a half ago, two years ago when you were on the first time was mm -hmm. you were just starting to explore this mindfulness stuff. Right. How is that playing out? You mentioned that it's, it's helping, but in what ways, like what are you doing personally? What are you sharing with your students and how, how are you seeing the results of that? So I'm currently in a program. I was just starting the last time that we spoke. Um, and I, that curiosity was building and, uh, I had to pursue that. I ended up getting a scholarship to uh, mindful schools, which will end in a certification to teach mindfulness. So the majority of the uh, schooling that I'm doing is on personal practice. Without the personal practice, you can't teach the children. It just doesn't work that way. In my learning to regulate my emotions, I believe that in the classroom, they saw me not overreact to actually pause they know when some when one of the kids is like pushing the buttons of the teacher and they're waiting for that reaction like uh oh what's she going to do now and the fact that the way that I dealt with it was by pausing and and really thinking about my situation i really think that they picked up on that so personal practice has been key then teaching it to the students started really heavy in the beginning of the year uh, front loading it as i like to call it giving them lots and lots of tools now that we're where we are, I refer to the tools. So as an example, I've given them breathing beads. I've given them um, shaker jars, cards that give suggestions of what to do, like giving thanks for something or writing a note to someone. So all the different strategies that I've given them, they actually took home in a plastic bag and they're used, they are able to use them during this time. And when I talk to them, and these are usually done recorded so everybody can see um, and they can watch them again and again. They, I'll say, okay, remember when I gave you the, you have a bottle of bubbles. This is what I want you to try. Or you guys know how to do this. I gave you this to practice with. Uh, so they have a, a toolkit, so to speak, to go to and try at home without me. And because I front loaded it all so much in the beginning, they can do it pretty independently now. Um, my, coursework technically ends in July with a closing retreat, which has been canceled. Mm -hmm. I actually had a very personally hard day the other day uh, when I found that news out because I've been looking forward to, that, forward to that since the last day of the retreat last year. It's a year-long process. And so I know that I have to deal with my emotions of being disappointed. 
that's how I feel as an adult. I, I feel completely devastated that I can't finish my year. And I make that connection to my students. And if I'm feeling this way, they must feel that this way times 10. So I guess I, I try to give them, I, I still, I send video messages um, of mindful moments. I have them do mindful moments live with me when they show up. And um, actually I send them a lot of mail and in the mail um, I've sent them um, little cards with different mindfulness practices to try at home. Any way that I can connect with them that makes them feel safe and secure and that they should be and a reminder to continue that they do know what to do in these situations. Well, I say that, but no one knows what to do in this situation. <laughs> but to have a tool to help you feel better, um, know, that it's okay that we don't know what to do in this situation. Right. Um, and when you were saying too about like, oh, um, I need to, oh, maybe I should exercise or maybe I should meditate or this or the other thing. We also have to be gentle with ourselves, right? And be like, well, you know what? I can't today. Right. Or I could, but I'm not going to, and that's okay. Uh, tomorrow's a new day. I'll feel better tomorrow. So letting them know that it's okay. One of the lessons that I did virtually was about um, pessimism versus um, optimism mm -hmm. and uh, told them it's okay to have those thoughts every now and again. It's okay. Uh, but if they happen over and over again, maybe we can try to twist those, turn those into something positive. And um, I had one student send me a message. Uh, Miss Letourneau, I'm afraid I'm a pessimist. <laughs> I said, <laughs> okay, well, we, we, we can work with that. Um, but it, it's, it's okay too. They need to know that it's, we need to know, everyone needs to know it's okay to be upset right now. Oh yeah. It, it won't last forever. Uh, and yeah, you might not make it, you know, for that run today, but it is what it is. Just putting on my listener hat, you've mentioned a few times that you're sharing these mindful moments with your kids. Mm -hmm. Are those like on YouTube somewhere where the listeners might be able to access them? <laughs> Can I make you internet famous? Uh, they're not good. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny. I do. I have them. Uh, uh, there, are, there are private YouTube links, but the reason why I haven't put them out there is because I specifically address things that my students already know. Okay. So um, I do have, uh, I've shared them with other teachers and said, these are some examples if you want ideas of what to say to your kids, but you wouldn't share mine with a group of students because I'd say, oh, remember that class that we did on such and such. Mm -hmm. But I also don't mind sharing so that um, they can see, oh, that that's all a mindful moment is. I could do that. <laughs> do you have a different resource maybe you could provide to the parents who are maybe want to do some mindfulness with their kids and introduce this. Oh, idea. I have, are you kidding? You've come to the right place. I have tons of resources and um, I'm happy to share with them. Honestly, the, I will say for parents listening, th there's been research done that shows you don't even need to teach your children mindfulness. If you practice yourself and you, you take care of you, they're going to feel the benefits of that. And it goes the same for teachers also. I mean, if you don't feel comfortable teaching your students or your own children, that's okay. But practicing is more important. And the grad students that I teach at Marymount College, I tell them, they always say, what's the best intervention? What's the best thing I can do um, to help my students? The best thing you can do is regulate your nervous system. The best thing you can do is be there, be present, be healthy for your kids. Um, and I've also heard that there, and you would probably know this more than me, but uh, families that have children with learning disabilities have higher rates of divorce. Yep. 
that was surprising to me. Um, so one of the workshops that I did suggested that perhaps parents start a mindfulness practice if they have children with disabilities. Um, it'll help them um, respond better to, the, to different situations. So I can absolutely sh share some resources with you, Brendan. I just want people to know that they don't have to go out and start teaching their kids this. Start learning for yourselves. Take care of yourself and, and the benefits. You'll see the benefits. I don't specifically teach my own children this. My younger daughter's more susceptible. She likes it. Mm -hmm. But I, I, can, I know that I'm a better parent because of it. Yeah, please provide us with those resources and I'll put them in the show notes. Yep. In the parenting groups that I run, we do mindfulness every Wednesday. I'm so happy to hear that. That's so fabulous. Yeah, I try to mix it up. The first two weeks you do it one way, the next two weeks you do it another way. So every two weeks I change kind of what the meditation is. So they do it once and it's the first time and they do it again as like a practice reinforcing of this strategy. And then I just shift it over because I don't know what's going to work for any individual person. So I have to mix up my strategies a little bit. Um, and I have one that I use that's, it's kind of ADHD specific where everyone's got that bias around mindfulness that it's like your mind will be blank and empty when that's such not how it works at all. <laughs> no. But I talk about how um, in a bunch of the mindfulness books I've read, there's that imaging exercise where you picture yourself sort of next to a stream. Every now and then a thought will go down the stream on a leaf and you should just let the thought go past you not try to grab it and hold on to it and all that stuff. And it's very peaceful and it's very soothing and it's complete nonsense for people who have ADHD because that's not how our thoughts work. I take that concept and instead of having a stream, I'm like, imagine that you're sitting next to a road and every now and then a thought comes by and sometimes it's quiet like a dude on a bicycle and that one just let it go. But other times it's a truck. <laughs> it's just really disruptive. <laughs> And that's okay. Just try to ride that out. <laughs> like, just let the truck go by as much as you can. Try not to stare at it as it travels down the rest of the road. Let it go, but it's going to be loud. It's going to be disruptive. And your goal is to bring your attention back to the thing across the street that you're trying to pay attention to, whatever that might be. For me, it's usually the breath because you always have your breath. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Actually, I'm going to tell my daughter that because the other day she was really struggling and, you know, she's like, I, I just, I keep thinking about, and you know, she, she was talking about a certain struggle and I said, honey, you're just going to have to feel it. You're just going to have to feel it. It won't stay forever, but she goes, but I don't like it. I don't want to feel it. I said, you can't push it away. Just let it, let it come. And then it, it, it'll, it'll go. And she's like, okay. And guess what it did when we try to fight those thoughts, right? That's when we, we get that turmoil. And in mindfulness, we think that we're doing it wrong, right? Because we can't get that thought out, but we're, we're alive. We're human beings. They're going to come fast and furious at times. So what are you finding with the grad students that you work with? I love working with grad students because um, they're just so excited to get into teaching. And I've been teaching, you know, 20 years, and I feel like a lot of people in my position are, um, that might be teaching them, are um, maybe a little bit cranky, <laughs> maybe not too excited about their jobs anymore. So I like to go in there and let them see, look, um, teaching is awesome. Even after 20 years, I still love it. You guys are going to be great. Uh, and I always incorporate some little piece of mindfulness somehow without really saying it, because I don't want to get on a soapbox. It's not a mindfulness course. It's a course to teach them uh, reading strategies for students, right? So 
I, I, I'm, I try to be very careful and just kind of slide it in there. Like, for example, thank you so much for coming today. Oh, I know that it, traffic might have been difficult. I'm, I'm so grateful that you made the time to come here. Those little, little mindfulness blips that I put into all the lessons or all the um, classes. And towards the end, I said, okay, if you have any questions for me, reading related or not, send me an email and we're going to do a nice Q&A and I'll give you all the answers to whatever you want. And I always get questions about mindfulness, mm-hmm. um, which is awesome because that's what I want to talk about. And, um, but that's not what they're getting paid to, you know, they're paying to hear. So I have to be careful. So at the end, okay, great. Yay. They have interest in mindfulness. And I just tell them how it can positively impact their teaching careers. Really. If you want to have a long lasting, happy teaching career, you got to take care of yourself. Uh, I wish I had this quote here. I, I sent them all a paper. Uh, uh, it was an article and it said, um, self-care isn't all about chocolate cake and bath salts. It's about creating a life that you don't want to escape from. We just wrapped up the week of self-care for the parent coaching groups and chocolate cake and bath salts don't come up at all <laughs> in the entire, in the entire thing. Um, chocolate cake sometimes does. Cause I talk about eating healthy and how you want to avoid simple carbs, which is pretty much anything white. So rice, potatoes, sugar. And even though chocolate cake is brown, it's still made with sugar. So it still counts as a simple <laughs> carb. It's about the closest we get to chocolate cake. Um, but yeah, it's about, it's about lifestyle design. Like you said, trying to create a life that you don't want to escape from. That's how, that's how you're practicing self-care. Exactly. And I, it frustrates me when I see on social media, like someone will post a picture of chocolate cake or, or a bathtub or a glass of wine and write hashtag self-care. I'm like, that is not self-care. <laughs> personal, personal share. Um, the glass of wine one pushes all of my buttons <laughs> because alcoholism runs in my family. And I've even seen things like self-care and there's a little glass of wine and then self-love and it's like a gallon of wine or a barrel or something i'm like that's no that's alcoholism that's not self-love <laughs> that, that's not what that I, is I agree. like yep killing me but sort of playing with this idea of self-care right and playing with this idea of having a life that you don't want to escape from there's a lot of parents out there who are totally overwhelmed by managing their careers their businesses their professional life whatever that looks like and also the requirements of school. And so I want to play there a little bit because I think that a lot of parents feel like it's the requirements of school. And I'm wondering how many of those are actually requirements and how much of it is, I don't know, a nice to have or a trying to help kids stay in a rhythm and in a pattern so that this helps everybody. Where's the line? Like how much of a priority in your opinion? And and this isn't like, you're not speaking for anyone. You're not speaking for your school department or anything. This is purely your opinion scenario. And if you have any guidance from the state or something, let me know. But where's the line? Am I doing school no matter what and screaming at my kids all day? Should I wrap that up and say, don't worry about the math homework. Don't worry about the science experiment because it's more important that we maintain a healthy relationship and healthy mental health. Where's the judgment there? Well, first, when you started mentioning about um, different scenarios families facing right now, I, I actually got a little choked up and a little teary because 
Um, I know that that I personally am struggling, but I'm I'm home with my two children who are healthy. I'm home with my two parents who are healthy. They're receiving retirement. I'm still getting a paycheck. It's yes, it's very difficult and very lonely, but it, it, on the spectrum of things, like I am so blessed, and I I I, I really feel badly because I know that um, my situation is not everybody's situation. I get I get really emotional thinking about families that are dealing with illness, dealing with death, dealing with lo- loss of jobs, medical insurance. Um, there's so much going out there that I'm not, um, well, I'm not privy to all that information unless the families give it to me, but I don't, I don't necessarily have a personal connection to, and I think it's hard for, for some of us to put ourselves in other people's shoes or even have the ability to think that someone might have it worse than you. So, you know, when we first started, when we didn't think it was going to be that long, you know, we sent home our packets and we assumed They'll do what they can do, whatever, no big deal. And then when we really needed to start doing online, the online piece, we were told right from the beginning, uh, students will not, they're not graded. Uh, don't worry, it's all enrichment and review. Just try to connect with your students. And I'm so pleased that our superintendent is so focused on mental health of families. Uh, I just, I really appreciate that, that she understands that piece of it. Because I know that I know that other surrounding towns have been pushing their their students um, along faster and um, sooner. So what I mean by that is that we didn't have to start teaching new teaching until Governor Baker declared that we'll be learning new material. So where do we go from here? Because it was all not that it was optional. We didn't tell the kids it doesn't matter if you do it or not, but we let the parents know. Don't worry. Do the best that you can. We just don't want them playing video games all day. Try to get them to do something. If they don't want to do this, have them read a book. You know, just trying to keep the connection and trying to get them to do something. So now we have um, remote learning. And honestly, part part of it, I think, was a push from some parents that don't see what it's like for other families. Um, I'm beginning to see the real inequity in, uh, in education. The... The, the Facebook posts, the social media posts about how teachers aren't giving enough and how come we're not doing what this town is doing when they're doing this and all we're doing is this. You have to compare uh, the demographics, unfortunately. And so it's not only inequitable, but when parents are referring to what other uh, cities are doing, how many students are participating? So they're not including information like, well, this town's doing it with 100% participation. They probably get five or six kids on those class, those class calls. Mm-hmm. So for all those, there's, there's been those messages that I so hard try to just not read that say, shame on you for not teaching my students more. But all those people that aren't saying anything, I think inside they're thinking, thank goodness that I'm not getting forced to have my kid on at 10 o'clock every morning to do this, that, or the other thing. It doesn't work for all families. Some families are still working. Some have uh, are being taken care of by siblings. Some are going to grandparents' houses. Some parents are sick. So the way that I'm letting this unfold with, with the guidance of the, of the state and our superintendent, we're going to introduce new learning. I'm going to really hope 
that I get a lot of kids that come on because if I don't, it's going to widen the gap, the gap that already very much exists. Mm-hmm. I, and I'm, I, I'm going to have to see how that goes. I start next week, but it's very tricky because with those kids that don't log on, it's not because they don't want to log on. <laughs> I mean, they're third graders. They want to see each other. It's not like I'm teaching high school here that are like, they have better things to do. It's, it's very emotional. <laughs> it's very emotional for me because I don't want the kids that are low that are unlikely to log on to fall more behind. And I don't want the kids that are ready to move on and are bored with what we've been doing to not have more challenging content. So I don't know any ideas on how to fix that problem (laughs) because it's a problem. Yeah. I don't have anything good. A meme that I saw, and I don't typically go for memes, but this is a quote and it's pretty solid. I'm not remembering who said it, but the gist of it is if we're grading right now, all we're grading is privilege. Because that's it. It's just the kids who have the privilege are going to be doing better. And and my kids are those kids, right? Like, But my kids also, listeners of the show know, there's some school anxiety going on for those two. And so logging on and doing remote learning for them is incredibly hard. My guys are both gifted in real life, like gifted intelligence. But logging on and doing that work is incredibly difficult for them because of the amount of anxiety that it provokes. And so one of the things I was able to do, and this is, again, this is totally a privilege thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend it's not, but I'm a licensed educator in history and English. I taught sixth grade. My boys are in fifth. I taught fifth grade for one year. I have the chops and I have the materials to teach them from home in English and history. So I asked. And I got permission to take over their English and history curriculum. I'm so unique. There's like a hundred people in the world maybe that could pull this off, right? Um, probably a little more than a hundred, but, but who are, there's plenty of teachers who could do that, but they're teaching their own kids, their, like their own classrooms. I don't have a classroom. I have a business that I can let shrink. I have the luxury of being my own boss. So I can say, I'm only going to have a handful of clients and run coaching groups and spend the rest of the time with my kids trying to get them to learn about the American Revolutionary War and story structure. Um, but even that, even that stuff is hard because even finding the time to prep those lessons and figure out how to do that again and where to go and what's my goal. I learned over the past couple of weeks that I have to have a full day on the weekend. I have to have a Saturday or a Sunday completely open so that I can do all that prep work for my kids to give them worthwhile, valuable lessons. Because the last two weeks were not that great just because our weekends were a little bit busier, um, which might sound ridiculous, but don't forget I play Dungeons and Dragons with Stephanie's brother. Um, <laughs> so that was, that was what took up last weekend. Self-care, Brendan. Yeah, oh, totally self-care. But uh but even that level of privilege is also hard, right? It still adds to my stress, which then adds to their stress, makes things a little bit harder for them. And kids who don't have that luxury, kids who have school anxiety and maybe didn't, but now they do, right? Maybe they have remote learning anxiety, but they would happily go into a building, but don't have parents that have the background of education that I do. That's challenging. And I wish that I had a good answer. I do know I have a friend, and I'll link this in the show notes too, named Lolly Davies. She runs Fast Brain Coaching. And she's providing incredibly affordable 
online support for students, like over Zoom. It's like 15 bucks a month. Like it's no money. I might have that number wrong. So listeners, in case I'm wrong, just know it might be wrong. But uh, she was on a few episodes back. And that is there to support kids. And there's other resources too of various price points. But even that's privilege, right? Like, do you have even $15 a month that you can spare to do this? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, I wish that I could offer stuff for free, but I can't because every time, every hour I'm spending with someone else is an hour I'm not spending with my kids. Right. I totally understand that. And, you know, my, my kids are 12 and 14. They're sixth and eighth grade. I let the 14 year old, I let her do her work on her own, obviously on her own, because she doesn't want to be in the same room as me these days. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the work that they do, they like to do with friends, right? So if, I, if I'm busy with my own students and my sixth grader needs help, she gets to FaceTime one of her friends and work on it together, right? That's also privilege. Mm-hmm. Ironically, this particular module for my own uh, learning through Mindful Schools is about inequity, bias, privilege. And um, it's really coming out of the woodwork now. It's just been more prevalent than ever. And it's very sad because um, a lot of people that um, I've, again, this is just a few squeaky wheels on on, um, social media that have said things like, well, just because the poor people can't do it doesn't mean the rest of us should, should, um, should, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Or fall behind or something mm-hmm. yeah and ouch yeah ouch that hurts because these are my students these are my babies um i i i don't have the, all the answers at all but i'd like to think that it includes thinking about other people and not just myself and what benefits me and, and also the whole notion of falling behind is sort of a non-starter for me because everybody on the planet is in this situation so if you're comparing your kid to like their imaginary peers who are all advancing somehow while your kid isn't, that's not what's happening. Some people are struggling more than others and the privilege gap is definitely getting bigger, but no one's falling behind in the way that people are thinking. It's, it's everybody is losing out on this education to some degree because of the nature of the shift. And as we figure out virtual learning more effectively, that will change. But the people who are actually falling behind are probably not the ones complaining about it on social media because they have more important things to worry about, which is part of why that gap exists. They don't have the luxury and the privilege of whining on social media about how their kid isn't getting enough education, despite the fact that their teachers are working their tails off. Um, I'll get down off my soapbox. And just being mindful of time, do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to share with our audience? Well, for the parents out there, my last thing that I'd say is just take time to breathe. If you're feeling ready to snap, just just pause for just for a few seconds. Take a deep breath. And that's going to help. I, I definitely suggest looking into some of the materials that I'll send to you, Brendan. But just don't forget to breathe. And I know that sounds silly, but even like you could be paying bills and holding your breath, right? I don't know if you've ever held your breath while paying bills, (laughs) but like anything you do, like washing the dishes, don't forget to breathe. Don't hold your breath, people. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through.
If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.